0: Back with you, and what I want to do this morning is just touch upon just one theme that impacted us greatly from our our trip to Bethel Church in California, and it's this topic of hope that every every environment we went in in the church, whether it was the conference with the main conference speakers, where it was the healing rooms whether it was the Sunday morning, whether it was the pre-service prayer meeting that ran from five to six in the afternoon, every single environment was full of men and women absolutely brimming over, overflowing, saturated with hope. And if you would say that's the thing that most impacted us, that when you have men and women who stand in front and lead from a place of hope, an expectation of saying things like "Today, God is going to meet with you. Today, lives are going to be changed. Today, God's going to be healing. Today, God's going to be bringing breakthrough." That hope is a powerful, powerful force, and I want to talk about hope because hope is a biblical thing. It's not just that one church in Northern California has hope, and for us blessed ones, we get to drink a little bit from a well of hope that's uh, five and a half thousand miles away. The good news is we've got the God of all hope. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read you some verses from it's Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. And as we read this, uh, God's promising to you, this verse is going to touch you, is going to change you. What we hear this morning is that you're going to have hope and you're going to have joy like you've never had it before. And it says in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all hope, with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. As you trust in him. So that you may overflow. Or as the message says. Brim over with hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Christmas morning for children. Is full of hope. And expectation. And high levels of optimism. Not because they've seen the presents but because they've got a promise about Christmas morning that there are going to be presents under the tree. And that's why they wake up at, if they can, five o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Because hope wakes them up. Hope wakes them up. Optimism wakes them up. And optimism wakes up the family as well. Because there's good things coming. I've not seen them. I've not seen the wrapping paper, maybe. But I know mum or dad have made a promise that good things are coming today. Good things are on their way and I'm waking up because I want to unwrap them. I want to have them. I've not seen them yet. I've not touched the paper yet. I've not seen them under the tree yet. But I'm waking up with optimism and hope because something good is coming. And God is saying... We can be filled with such hope and anticipation and unreasonable optimism because of the nature of the one who made promises to us that we can become like children again and live our lives with joyful expectation in every area of our life because we've got a good father who's generous and powerful and we can brim over with hope and joy. It's the expectation that good things are coming. It's the expectation that God's on the move. It's the expectation that in a word, in a moment, he can change something. And that's what we're doing when we're going treasure hunting. We're going out into our community and saying, Plumstead and Woolwich, we know the God of all hope. We know the God of breakthrough. Because there's a kind of atmosphere around here that says it won't work, nothing will change, poor old plumstead, poor old Woolwich, nothing ever happens here. And when the church goes out, we're saying, we know a God who can provide you with work. Mm. We know a God who can heal you. We know a God who can break through on that housing situation. We know a God who says there are no impossible circumstances. Actually, we're going out with a message of hope, 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 hope. Hope. And that's why when we meet people who haven't got a job, we don't just pray for them to have a job. We say, what job would you like? How many hours do you need? How long do you want to commute for that job? Because we've got testimony after testimony of the God of all hope bringing breakthrough on jobs. And so we bring that out there. And hope, it doesn't say, may the God of all hope fill people with a certain personality type with hope. It doesn't say, may the God of all hope fill you with hope as you work up some emotional hype to have hope. Listen, it doesn't matter what personality type you are, whether you're a kind of, glass is always full, I'm an optimist, or whether you're a pessimist, this has got nothing to do with personality type. Yeah? It doesn't matter whether you're a melancholic or a radical celebrator. There's a supernatural hope that's available for the believer. That's got nothing to do with nothing to do with your personality. You know, we can't we can say that every believer can be filled with radical joy and radical hope and radical peace. Because it's not when Jesus talks, when Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians, he talks about there being joy. He talks about there being peace. And uh, he says in, in chapter 5 of, of, of Galatians, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Now, if you met someone and said, well... I'm not really a loving kind of person, so that fruit is not for me. Because actually, I'm not a loving kind of person. So the other fruit are available, but actually, don't ask me to love. What would you say to them if they said, "Actually, I'm, I just can't love because I don't, I, I I don't." You say, "I don't care whether you're a loving kind of person." The fruit of the spirit is love. That's the same with joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You can't just say, "Well, I'm not a joy. I'm not. I'm not a joyful kind of person." Well, no. Joy is a fruit of the Person of God, and God is a God of hope, joy, and peace. And when you're around Him, His joy is going to well up, yeah. and it's going to make its way to your face. You can't say, "Well, actually, I'm joyful inside, but it just never makes its way to my face." Actually, joy will make its way to your face. Face yeah. and uh, hope is a glorious producer of joy. So I want to tell you about how to leave joylessness behind. I want to tell you how to leave restlessness behind and I want to talk to you about how to leave hopelessness behind. It can be left behind. It's not it's not part of the sanctification process to be joyless, restless and hopeless. It's not part of the deal Hope, joy, peace is what God wants you to have. Now, if you want to leave restlessness behind, and hopelessness behind, and joylessness behind, you need to look at the verse that says, May the God of hope fill you with all hope, with joy and peace, as you what? Trust, or as you believe. So if you want to leave those things behind, you've got to change what you believe. You've got to change what you trust. This is, going to, this is a radical statement for all of us that m- yours and my lack of joy, peace and hope has nothing to do with our circumstances. Your lack of joy, my lack of joy... My lack of hope, your lack of hope, my lack of peace, your lack of peace, has nothing to do with your circumstances. Because sometimes what we say is, I'll be joyful, I'll be hopeful, I'll have peace when this changes. I'll be hopeful, I'll be joyful, I'll be peaceful when I get that job. Or when my husband or my wife comes to know Jesus. Or when I'll be hopeful and joyful when at the end of the month there's more money than I had the last month. Then I'll be hopeful, then I'll be joyful. And we say that our hope and our joy and our peace is somehow contingent upon something around us changing but how many of you know that when you get to that thing that you believe is going to be the breakthrough thing and it happens, that actually you're still not hopeful and you're still not joyful? How many of you ever got the job, the promotion? And you're still not joyful, you're still not hopeful, you've still got no peace. Because you got it and then you think. What if they find out I'm not as good as I said I was? And what about if the company doesn't get enough income and I go bust and and I get made redundant? and, And we start to think that hope isn't caused by your circumstances. Your hopelessness or joylessness or restlessness is not caused by the people in your life. Well, if she or he would just be different and they got their stuff together, then I would then have hope. (laughs) The good news of the gospel is I am not a victim. I'm not a victim. I'm not a victim of my circumstances. I'm not a victim of my situation. And I am not a victim of the people in my life. My joylessness Hopelessness and restlessness is not the product of people around me. It's rooted in my own personal unbelief. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for my lack of hope and my lack of peace and my lack of joy. It's good news when you go to the doctor and they give a diagnosis which sounds awful but then they say don't worry there's medicine there's medicine for you there's hope for you don't worry yeah it is, sounds bad you're not a victim it's not your circumstances <laughs> it's you you're the problem in your life <laughs> I'm my own problem Whoa! Don't worry. The medicine I've got for you that will give you hope and joy and peace has nothing to do with your personality. It's all to do with I'm going to (coughs) ignite belief in you and trust in you that's going to bring you into radical joy, peace and hope. We need to repent of the wrong beliefs we have about ourselves about God, about our circumstances and other people. We need to repent of the lies that we've believed about the nature of God. Sometimes we have all of our spiritual guns focused outwards. I'm going to bind the enemy. I'm going to... I'm going I'm to come against the work of Satan. I'm going to come against the tempter. I'm going to come against this. I'm going to come against that. They're all out here. I'm going to come against my circumstances. I'm going to come against my husband or my wife. I'm going to put all my guns out here. This has to change. And actually God says, point your spiritual guns inwards. You need to point them at your own unbelief, the lies you've believed the things that the conclusions you've come to about God as you trust in him so you may overflow brim over with hope by the power of the holy spirit so the moment we truly believe the moment we truly believe is the moment we get filled with Holy Spirit supernatural hope what does hope know hope knows hope expects Everything's going to work out and work together for good. That God is going to work it out together for good. He may not work it out exactly the way we wanted it, or how we wanted it, or at the pace we wanted it, but He's going to work it together for good. Something good, something good is coming. Something good is coming. I'm going to know God more. Peace is going to be birthed in my heart. I'm going to become more mature. I'm going to become more Christ-like. I'm going to act and think and behave more like Jesus. He's going to work this together for good. It doesn't matter how hopeless it looks, how dark it looks, how impossible it looks. This is going to be worked together for my good. And even though we'll come to the conclusion at the end, he didn't he didn't send it, he, didn't, he wasn't punishing us, but the way he redeemed it, the way he transformed it, made it look like he sent it in the beginning. Because he can take scars and make them like crystal. He can work things together for good. Hope says this, nothing is impossible with God. Hope is that deep down conviction, nothing's impossible with God. As Ezekiel was asked that question can these bones live? and he answered only you know Lord and then God says to Ezekiel now you prophesy to the bones you prophesy to the wind can these bones live? yes they can can these bones live? Can this Red Sea be parted? You hit the remember the story of Exodus? The people have come out of Egypt after slavery for four hundred years, and they come to the Red Sea, and Egypt is following behind the Egyptians, and it looks like they're gonna be destroyed, it looks like a hopeless situation. And God makes a way where there is no way. As Moses lifts his staff and the Red Sea parts. And they go through as if on dry land. And it closes up over Egypt and they're totally set free. The bones can live. Red Seas can part. He speaks and he creates reality. The earth was formless and in chaos. And he speaks. He says a word. Let there be light. And there was light. It only takes a word from God. It only takes a moment with God. It only takes him speaking a word and everything changes. He can create reality by simply speaking into our situations. There is hope for every person. There is hope for every situation. There is no situation where God looks and says that's too difficult for me. If you hear God say to you, well, actually, that's a hopeless situation for me too. Then that's your permission to be hopeless about it. If the God of all hope says, "Actually, yeah, that's that's a that's one the new one for me," your one really is hopeless. So, yeah, <laughs> if I was you, I would be hopeless because even the God of all hope hasn't an answer for that one. But you won't find him speak that about any circumstance, any situation. He'll always say there is hope, there is a way. These bones can live. This sea can be parted. And he doesn't really care what the odds are. Actually, he likes it when the odds are at their most grim. Gideon had too many men to fight Midian in Judges 6. He had too many. God says, I want to get this army down. 10,000 is too many. I want to get it down to a... A crazy, low-level army of 300. Because I like it when the odds are stacked against me. I like it when it looks impossible. I like it when there's no doubt that it was me. I like it when there's no doubt that it was because I turned up. I like it when people believe for things that are entirely, entirely impossible. I like it when there's a bunch of people who have the audacity to believe God that a community can be changed. I like that. I like it when a bunch of people start to really believe that the economy can be transformed by believing believers. I like it when people start to think actually plumps of Woolwich, SC18 in this area can have a new message over it. That it can work. That it can happen. That it can work here. That people can be changed. That God says, I, I like it. I know the odds. <laughs> I know they're stacked against the church. But I like that. Because then it's set up ready for me to demonstrate that it was me, God, who made it happen. So when he looks at situations in our life and he says, You say, but no one's getting jobs in this area, and there are no houses in this area, and I can't afford a, a larger house, or, or my husband or my wife is nowhere near Jesus and they're not even interested in that, they're kind of Gideon moments. Where he says, I like it when the odds are that stacked. Because I can speak to bones. And I can speak a word and make a way where there's no <laughs> way. I can open up Red Seas. He likes it when a Lazarus is in the grave. And Jesus, it says, loved Lazarus. And then it says he waited four more days. Some people say actually one of the reasons is for that is it took, a, in Jewish times it was a, they needed a number of days before they could pronounce someone was dead because, it's a, it was a, because they didn't have the medical science. They didn't want to bury people who were alive or in a coma. So they needed a period of time to make sure Lazarus is really dead. And then he turns up into an impossible situation. Take me to where they've buried him but he will stink. It's in the old English language, he will stinketh. In other words, he's beginning to decay, Jesus. He's not just a little sick. He's he's actually beginning to rot. And then he stands outside the tomb. Come forth, Lazarus. And that comic moment of a waddling man in his grave clothes. hes has been wrapped. He's wrapped in grave clothes. Unwrap him. He's alive. You have situations that it, you don't go there anymore because it's, it stinks. Because it's as dead as it can be. Jesus can come outside those tombs and say, Lazarus, come out. Hope is that kind of thing. There's no dead areas for him. There's no dead areas for him. You might be saying to yourself, but I've always been depressed. I've always been depressed. I've never known any hope or joy. And Jesus can come outside that tomb and say, oh, I like those odds. I'm going to speak a word over that and you're going to have hope and joy like you've never had it before. There is no personality type that can say, my personality has just been so deadened to hope and so deadened to joy that I don't even expect it anymore. I just grit my teeth and obey him (coughs) diligently but I don't expect hope or joy. He can come outside those tombs and say, Hope and joy come on out. And you can unwrap the grave clothes. Doesn't matter what the odds are. He's confident. He's confident. And the more truth we believe. And how do you know you believe truth? You believe truth when your emotions line up with truth. Truth. (laughs) We don't wait to feel it before we believe it, but when we believe it, we will feel it. We don't wait to feel something and then we believe it, but when we believe it, we will begin to feel it. It, it. It will begin to brim over, it will begin to overflow. It's impossible for it not to be. When you know that he can do it. When you know because you know because you know because you know that it only takes a word from him. When you know because you know that there are no dry bones that can't be resurrected and be brought together. When you know that, your emotions will begin to line up. And hope and joy are buddies. Hope and joy hang out together. Hope and joy go out together. Joy comes out of hope. As you get hope, you begin to get joy. Hope for the community. Hope for your marriage. Hope for your life. Hope for your business. Hope for your workplace. Hope for yourself. Hope for you. That he can overcome that. He can ignite that. He can take it up levels. And how do you handle it when... The breakthrough doesn't come. It didn't come yesterday. You wake up and say, God, today (coughs) is a good day for a miracle. Today's a good day for a breakthrough. Today's a good day for something to change. Today's a good day for your promise to arrive. Today is, God, I'm going to look to you today and say, there's no problem as bigger than you, God. And I'm expecting today's a good day for something to transform. I'm expecting today is a day where my joy and my hope and my peace levels are going up. They're going to grow today. I'm going from glory to glory. I'm not static, I'm moving forward. I'm always moving forward. I'm not who I was last week or last year or five years ago. But I've got more hope now, more joy now, more peace now than I used to have. That I I don't believe I can get stuck. Because there's always a solution with you, God. There's always a solution with you, God. And we can't overflow with something unless we're full of something. We've got to get full of hope. Then we can overflow. If you want to be the most influential person in your family, the most influential person in your workplace, The most influential people in a community, in any context you're in, you've got to be the person who has the most hope in the room. If you've got the most hope in the room, you'll have the most influence in the room. Because people are hungry for hope. Because people are wrestling with hopelessness. You have hope, it can work out, this business can thrive, this company can do well, there's a solution, there's a way, there's a... There's a, there's a solution in this family situation. There's a solution for this interpersonal stuff that's going on in my family. There's a solution for my finances. There's a solution for my health. There's a solution for my joblessness. There's a solution. You start to speak that. There's a solution for that teenager. There's a solution. There's a solution. only takes a word from God. There's a solution for these relational tensions. There's a solution. God can give wisdom. Let's finish with this then. But it says he's the God of all hope. We ultimately seek God. We ultimately seek God. We're not seeking just his resources or just his solutions or just his ideas or just his provision or just his power. We're actually seeking God. The God of all hope. I'm not just pressing into him because I want my circumstances to change or I want me to change. I'm pressing into him because I want him. Because I want the God of all hope. Because I've got to be near him. We're not just coming to him like a vending machine saying, if I put enough coins in God will you then bring out the solution if I take all the steps of obedience and I press the button, will he bring out the job or will he bring out the house or will he bring out the, the, the breakthrough in me or the breakthrough in them or whatever? I'm not, we're not. God's not a vending machine. God's not a butler where we clap and say, come over here, God of all hope. I need this and this and this and this. No, we come to him and say, I want you. I want the God of all hope. I want you more than anything Else I simply embrace you God. I've got to have you. Yeah there are things that as a good father I'm trusting you for. There are wants and needs that I have that I'm trusting you for. But over and above (coughs) all of that I am a pursuer and a lover of God. I've got to have you. I've got to have you. I've simply got to embrace him. I've got to be near him. I've got to be around him. I want to trust in him. I want to be in a place where it's, what's next, Papa? What's next?" I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you, I'm trusting you. What's next, Papa? I want to be near him. And as we're near him, he rubs off on us. And hope rubs off on us. And joy rubs off. And peace rubs off. Because you can't trust someone you don't know. You can't open up and yield everything to someone you hardly know. The only way you can categorically, 100% trust him is that you know him. Do you know him? I don't mean do you... Do you do things for him? Or do you have certain disciplines around him? But do you know him? Does he make your heart beat faster? Do you just want to catch a glimpse of him? Do you just want to be around him? Do you just want to be in his presence where you don't even say a word? It's the heart of everything heard earlier on it's the heart of worship it's the heart of desire i just want to be with you god and in that place you begin to let go and yield your chosen outcomes and what you want it to look like and how you want it to work and the timing and you begin to just trust him i know you're good i know you'll work it all together for good i'm choosing to trust you felt just to say that there's a, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that says if God is God if God is God choose him if God is God yield it all to him <coughs> See, it's kind of a cra- it's a kind of crazy thing isn't it to say I'm a follower of Jesus but I don't trust him <coughs> I'm a Christian. But at the core of who I am, I don't really trust him. And I don't believe he's good. And I wouldn't yield anything to him. So I'm holding on to everything. Because I don't really trust him. But yeah, I believe in Jesus. No, choose, if, you, if, you, if you believe in him, choose him. Choose him. Even today, you may not know him. And he's, he's beckoning you in to a place of saying, I'm yielding to this Jesus. I'm yielding it all to trust and believe in him. Can I say that I, I truly believe that one of the big roots of joylessness and restlessness and hopelessness is that at the core of our being, we don't <coughs> really trust him yeah. and we're full of unbelief. Mm-hmm. But I truly believe that if we can sever the root of unbelief and yield and just say, I choose to trust you, God. I choose to believe the revelation of the scriptures that you're a good God and that you work all things together for good and that you're the God, you're the Father and I'm the child and I just get to yield to you. In that place of surrender and abandonment is the springboard to radical hope, radical joy and radical peace. And I believe that it happens as we give ourselves to be near him, as we give ourselves to his presence, as we give ourselves to be around him, we get to trust him deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we begin to become more confident in who he is and what he says and the promises he's made. It happens in the context of intimacy, it happens in the context of worship, it happens in the context of just singing to him, just hearing his voice, that we begin to move away from that awful heartedness where we think we've got to make it all happen ourselves and yield and trust him. Sometimes it just begins with a statement, God, I choose you today. And I'm not going to fix myself because you're the God of all hope and you're going to fix me in the context of relationship. But today, I choose you. Today, I yield to you. Today, I surrender to you. Today, I hear the call again to prioritise intimacy and connection and presence and being with you. And as I behold you, I'm going from one degree of glory to another we promise in the scriptures. Can kind of I like to stand and...